The Good Podcast is brought to you by The Good Meals, healthy, ethical and sustainable ready meals delivered straight to your door. No need to sacrifice your health or values when pushed for time or there's nothing in the fridge. Head to thegoodmeals.co, that's thegoodmeals.co and select from the growing number of delicious dishes and have them delivered straight to your door. Zero fuss. The Good Meals are free of nasties and preservatives, no bullshit, just the good stuff. This episode is brought to you by Holistic Performance Nutrition. If you're looking to further your nutrition study, start a new career, or just learn some cool shit, then HBN is the course for you. HBN offers a range of options for your nutrition study, from foundations of nutrition science, right through to full training courses to become a holistic and performance nutrition coach, or holistic and performance nutritionist. Also, short courses in ketogenic nutrition science, the business of health practice, and functional mycology, and much, much more. Head to holisticperformancenutrition.com and enter GOOD into the coupon code to receive 10% off your course fee. This episode, I'm joined by Tommy Herschel. Uh, although I've known Tommy for a couple of years, I've never actually sat down with him one-on-one to hear what he does. And um, to be honest, it's quite remarkable stuff. Tommy facilitates men's groups, predominantly in the country, helping men to discard the attitude that it's weak to be vulnerable and encourage them to share their problems. With years of experience in teaching, Tommy's newfound passion is transformative and impactful. To find Tommy and what he does, check out Find Your Feet at www tommyherschel.com so t-o-m-m-y tommy herschel h-e-r-s-c-h-e-l-l.com welcome to the show tommy are we on we're on yeah we we just we just we just roll into it yeah yeah a rolling start it's awesome a rolling start yeah well well i'll I'll do a little intro i'll talk you up and then this will (laughs) this will be it um I want to ask Tommy right from the get-go because um, obviously I've known you for probably two years. Yeah. And every time we cross paths, it's normally a celebration of some nature, or a birthday or whatever. There's normally other people around. There's normally your kids or my kids. And it dawned on me um, this morning in preparation for this that I don't actually know what you do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know a little bit through Teal and, and probably Claire. So I feel like I know the, the, the jurisdiction in which you operate and I know the industry in which you operate, but above that, I don't really know. So let's, let's start with that. Yeah, well, um, mate, it's a great question because I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's freaking out about this, this tracing app and worrying about, you know, like, they're going to know where I am and what I'm doing. And I'll be like, mate, it won't worry me because I never know where I am and I rarely know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the interesting thing, I guess, with my work is, like you said, you know the field I'm in. I mean, I've worked in, I guess, that mental health sort of space. And I, and I think that's probably the second time I've ever said those words, mental health space, because for me, it's, um, it's not even mental health. It's just normal life, like mm. day-to-day living. Um, so my whole work is in and around getting uncomfortable, I guess. Um, like I've seen you train before, you know, down at Clareville that day with the dumbbells and doing all that and you're sweating and 
all that physical work, like we push ourselves hard and get our heart rate to like 180 or 200, whatever, and we're in a certain zone. Um, my work is all about doing that, but emotionally. Yeah, right. Um, so rarely do we do that. Especially so, so what you mean like getting out of your sort of comfort area? Sort of out of your comfort area. So like as blokes, we'll, we'll do everything that's, not all of us, it's a big um, generalisation, but a lot of blokes will just do the easy stuff. So you and I will have a conversation and we'll just skim over the stuff, you know, well, how's the family, what are they up to, what are you doing this weekend? Um, we'll talk about five things, maybe sport, family, the weekend, how's work, and have you been surfing? And we'll do it easily, yeah. you know, like it's easy run of the mill. If I was to say to you at the very end of it, um, Mate, have you been feeling any anxiety or have you like had any panic attacks lately? You'd probably go, whoa, whoa, mate. Back to sport, you know, yeah. mate, back to sport. Yeah, back off, mate. You know, like, what are you, um, yeah, you? Well, let's talk about the Raiders. <laughs> Didn't they play well on the weekend? Um, but my work's all about smashing that, smashing that myth that blokes don't want to go beyond the five, those five topics. So um, it's called Find Your Feet. Yeah, right. um, and it's all about giving men that opportunity to literally stop and go, shit, what's actually going on for me? Um, and this coronavirus thing, this isolation, has literally been like an extended period of finding your feet. Um, it's been an extended period of people being out actually stop and go, what, um, what are the things that mean the most to me? Um, what matters? What do I want to be doing? Yeah. And what do I want to be doing with my time? Um, so find your feet is all about that um, and the way the workshop works I guess is we talk about those five things we talk about how easy it is to do those five things but then we also after that like I sort of shock the fellas in the workshop by going well boys what aren't we talking about what aren't we going on about and it might be loss grief um, you know depression anxiety um, and sort of build this uh, energy in the room of um, what you know? Why don't we talk about that sort of stuff? Because blokes just say it's uncomfortable and those sorts of things. Um, but they'll also come up with this belief that you're burdening your mates if you're doing it. So I sort of set them up into a bit of a rabbit trap. It's classic. I got my rabbit trap hotel on from beautiful Albert in Western New South Wales, and I sort of drop them straight into it, like within the first ten minutes of the workshop. And I do that by um, asking you know a few simple questions straight up. Um, and then there's three at the end that really set them up. And I'll give them a stat like one in five blokes suffer anxiety. You know, raise your hand if you've ever experienced anxiety. Um, and you'll get, you know, majority of the room will put their hand up. Okay, next question, boys. Um, raise your hand if you're there for your mate, no matter what. Like, you're always going to be there for your mate, middle of the night. And you normally get 100%. Like, we're all heroes. We all want to be there for our mate. We want to do everything we possibly can. And then the third one, which is the most important one, is um, put your hand up if you've had some stuff going on before, yet you didn't reach out to a mate. And you'll get 45, 50% of the room to slowly put their hands up. And I'll write up on the board, boys, why, why don't you reach out to a mate? And they'll say things on the board like, um, they'll normally say three things and my whole work is around so I'm, I'm an old school teacher of 14 years but I'm also a journalist and I believe big time in story so it's about redefining what it means to be a man and be a, a, I guess a hero um, so I write on the board why they don't reach out to a mate and the first one normally is oh you're a pussy if you do it 
Second one is you're going to be judged. And third one normally is um, you're a burden if you do it. So norm, there can be four or five, but let's just use those three. So I write those on the board and I step back and go, shit, that's pretty heavy, um, you know, fellas. Like we saw some stats that, you know, suicide is the biggest killer between ages 15 and 44. Um, domestic violence rates are through the roof. Most men just say that when they committed domestic violence, they lashed out. You know, we, we've got something going on, fellas. Like what is this? We can see on the board those things there. Let's... Let's, let's have a think about that. And I sort of set it up with a bit of silence and then go back and go, I want to, actually, I'd love to hear from someone on that anxiety stat. Like, tell me, what's it like to have anxiety? And you'll always get a legend stand up, you know? So, like, I won't say particular names, but I'll, I, the guy out in central New South Wales on a recent trip um, stood up and he said, fellas, I'm literally just coming home uh, on my way back from the doctors this afternoon he goes my nuts are covered in tumors um he goes i've known it for six months now that something's wrong i've been having panic attacks um you blokes see me around town i'm the guy who gets around in the new ute um i'm the guy that's drinking the most beers down at the pub he said but i've been living with this and the anxiety is killing me as much as the tumors on my nuts and he goes I just got to talk about it. I have to talk about it. Um, and he broke down sort of in tears. And one of his mates in the corner just was like rubbing his eyes and wiping away the tears. And um, and he just was stood up and just goes, fuck, mate, we've been best mates for 25 years. Yeah, wow. I didn't even know you were sick. Yeah. And they had this little to and fro, little mini conversation. Anyway, he ended up, we got him, he sat down and and I said, boys, I, I just want to ask this fella a few questions. So we had a few questions. What's the anxiety like? What's the panic like? What's the thought of, you know, you're not going to live like? What are all these things? Had, had he even shared with his family? Or? No, he hadn't even shared with his family. He was on his way home to tell them. Um, so the beauty of it, and like I said that at the start, my work's about getting uncomfortable, is I say to him, boys, we're not good at asking questions like that mean something to each other. We say, how are you? But... How rarely do we yeah, mean that? Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, mate, I'm sweet as. Um, so I'm going to ask you some questions, mate, now that, are, that, that you mightn't have been asked because I'm curious about what it's like to have your life flash in front of you. Um, but also I want to give you a chance to talk about it. So we asked him a few questions and he just levelled the room with his bravery and his courage. So we go back to the board and I go, boys, like, fuck, I don't know how you fellas feel, but I just want to have a look at this shit we wrote on the board beforehand. Um, I want anyone to stand up in the room who feels they were burdened by what this fella said because you, like, said you don't reach out because you feel burdened and you'll get blokes who, like, on this one occasion, this one other bloke who's been this bloke's mate for 25 years like, get fucked, mate, you kidding me? Mate, what he just did was courageous. So, mate, so perfect. So you're not a burden then. You're, you're courageous and you're strong if you do it. Yep, that's what you are, Okay. Um, who feels judged? Who feels that they could judge him for what he just did? Like, who reckons, you know, they could put some words to what sort of bloke he is? Is he a shit bloke? Mate, are you kidding me? The bloke's strong, he's, he's brave, he's honest. Cool. Um, last one is, everyone said, you know, if you sort of share, you're going to be a bit of a pussy. Anyone think he's a pussy? Mate, like, they just, at that stage, they want to get up and knock you out because you've just ridiculed this bloke. 
or you know you've ridiculed the, their whole belief system yeah. that they've had forever and a lot of the times like um, they'll just sit there and I always put a light and give them a light beer um, they'll get their beer can and sort of take a slug of it and put it down and just look at it and go shit what are we going to do now like what can we do to how do get you out how of do this? you yeah how do you unravel or backtrack from that sort of masculine imprinting that we all inherit most yeah. of us inherit that it is a sign of weakness weakness almost to be vulnerable and yeah is is there cuz the the predominantly the workshops are sort of regional right well, they're, they're metropolitan as well. Oh, I just yeah. focus on regional Australia because I've just got this. Like, even when I talk about it now, I get an emotion. In my, I get, a, I get yeah. a, a, a lump in the throat. I just love the bush. Like, the bush for me is... The people of the bush, like, even coming in and taking my shoes off at the door. Like, I just love all those little rules. And even though I've got my hat on inside, like, I just... And I, I just love the way of the bush. Um, you know, John Williamson sings his song, Honest People in a Country Town, and I just listen to it all the time because I just, they're the things I love about the bush. Um, but would you say that sort of reticence around being vulnerable, is that amplified in the, the guy from the bush versus, nah. versus the guy from the city? No, nah, it? it runs across all blokes. Doesn't matter, Doesn't matter at all. Um, it's, it's incredible. Like you'll get, obviously, you'll get different types of blokes that are coming to the city workshop compared to, you know, you'll get the Bondi bloke in the city, the the manly fella, the guy from the western suburbs, all the different, you know, subcultures coming in, and, and they've got their thing. But the minute that it comes in, the minute the guy talks about anxiety, and the minute the guy shows vulnerability, they all just come together, yeah, right. and the bullshit's wiped, and that's when the work begins because you point out to the room. What did what did um, what did that fella just do by sharing the way he did? And you'll always, hundred percent of the time, within the first two suggestions, someone will say he opened up the room. Mm. Like I feel like yeah, I could if he talk. He can now. do that. It means that I have permission to do that. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So um, I mean, the, the the bush, the pull for the bush for me as well is. Um, Jeez, I don't know. It's um, I got a lot of family background in the bush. Um, yeah, were you but, born in the bush? No, I wasn't. no, I'm from Chugan, proud Chugan boy, which is the southern end of the Gold Coast. Chugan, never. Heard yeah, never heard of it, mate. We won the comp in '86, uh, lost right. in '87. We had a great half that called Crackers Goodwin. Um, oh, Crackers. Yeah, Crackers. He's still in Chugs. Um, but grew up right on the beach um, at Chugan in an old Queenslander like this, yeah, right. um, and. Um, I just bolt bush whenever I could. I just go out there, and I never knew what it was for years. I never knew why I wanted to go to the bush, um, but I get there and I just sit and and I just sit for days sometimes on a riverbank and I swim and um, and then only two years ago or a year ago, my grandmother passed. But about two years ago, she was a hundred, and um, we thought she was going to die, so we, the whole family bolted up and. And we're sitting there and I was laying next to her one day in bed and I said to her, Nones, tell me about, like, your upbringing. Tell me, because I knew she grew up in Walgett and far western South Wales. And, and she gave me this one name. I said, hang on, we'll Google it. We'll Google his name, this guy. Um, anyway, long story short, we Googled his name and um, John Pearson Rowe was his name. And it turned out her great-great-great-grandfather came out in Australia in 1840 
went up into um, highlands of Victoria, discovered that lime was a great organic um, alternative instead of chemical to washing sheep. Um, did all these amazing things in Victoria. Had an, an incredible attitude towards Indigenous Australians. He had this. He had a 18. Um, I think he had at the time about 1,800 acres of land around Euroa, and um, it was no fences. You know, Aboriginal people came and gone. Would go and and local people apparently would say to him, you know, what are you doing? Like that's your land. Why are they there? And he'd say, mate, that's not my land. That's that's their land, and and I'll learn from them and. He had a shootout with Ned Kelly. Um, yeah, he did some amazing things. And um, and then on the other side, Googled her grandfather on the other side, and um, and he laid the first bore in Queensland up in around the, on the Paru River. And and so it was amazing. Like, even, yeah, I get emotional talking about it because that day, like, I sort of discovered why I've got this pull for yearning, the bush. Yeah. yeah, this yearning for the bush. And I go out there now, and, I, like, she's since passed, but... Yeah, like I see her and um, <laughs> I feel her, but I feel welcome as well. Mm. And I just relate to the people. Um, but there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, we were talking about it before we started recording that during isolation, people are not having the distractions that they would otherwise have. And the bush is very much like that. You're, you're at one with nature. Mm. Things become a lot more simple yeah so you the focus of the day is what are you going to eat when you, you know yeah water yourself feed yourself are you warm are you comfortable like everything else sort of goes out the window yeah and so you for me like I've, I've been a big fan of camping i have done for since i was probably about 14 15 me and the boys used to go camping of a weekend rather than go to the pub you know yeah, we were 14 15 um and there's something to be said for there's like a recalibration that occurs and it probably takes me probably about two days before you know I stop checking my phone although there's no fucking coverage yeah, I don't know yeah. why I'm checking it you know it takes about two two days before that sort of calibration occurs and then you you know you walk in bare feet you're in a pair of shorts and you're collecting firewood it becomes very simplified but, yeah. but equally enjoyable you kind of yeah yeah look it's um, I mean it's a lot of that for me um like, geez, to be honest, I mean, and that's the work that I that I do. So I sort of try and live it the most. Um, I love the bush as well, mainly because I get to hide. Um, and so, I mean, I'm a school teacher by trade. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, I've been trained in this facilitation a little bit. Um, done a few courses here and there, but I'm just a bloke who you know walks down the road and still trips over and and makes lots of mistakes so like the bush for me is a place where i can hide and um and what, sort of what do you mean by that well so when i'm around say like we're on the northern beaches now um sometimes i can be driving around and and, and read into a lot of things um feel a lot of judgment um uh you know like talking to people and read into what they're saying or do i need to be busy because they're busy do I need to say that I'm busy because so this is all like busy. self-enforced this is all my own yeah. stuff yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the work and I mean I guess that's this is the beautiful thing about the work and I'm always really honest when I do the workshop is boys I'm I've lived this experience and I continue to live it um, a lot of my work is well mainly of it is is like I said getting uncomfortable but as well the outcome is the skills of being able to build like a maintenance program so 
you know, like with with food. I mean, you know the benefits of eating good food. Um, I always say to young blokes, like when I'm working in school workshops, we go into the school tuck shop at lunch and we're going to eat a meat pie, coffee roll and a yogurt, which is what I used to smash at uh, Crum and State School on the Goldie. You're literally going to come back into class and you're going to feel pretty shit. You're going to feel awful. Um, so it's about what happens when we eat good food, what happens when we look after ourselves, what happens when we build a maintenance program. So for me around here, um, my maintenance program literally to survive without getting so much head noise, get up early, swim or surf, um, get straight under a cold hose like the minute I get home, drink plenty of water, um, have a good healthy breakfast and then sort of get into the day. But the reality of it is, like, I'm a bloke who's got two kids and, you know, an epic partner. But the reality of it is, like, you have days like today, whereas I wanted to get up and do all those things this morning knowing I was chatting to you. So I wanted to be 100%. But I wake up and my poor bride's kangaroo, she's crook. Um, yeah, kangaroo Edward, rooted. Um, the kids uh, didn't really want to go to school. My little girl did. Um, there's no food in the pantry. There's nothing going on. So you're rushing down to the cafe. Yeah, the perfect morning is not perfect anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I've got that maintenance program in place. And I know that when I run that, I'm going to have a, a much better day than when I don't get up and run, yeah. when I eat the crap food. But on days like today as well, like I know that, you know. But do you have like empathy for yourself in that? on those days yeah you don't beat yourself up which is what I yeah exactly so that and I feel that's what the work's allowed me to do like mm. to realise that hey mate you're kidding yourself that it's going to be perfect like all the time mm. you're off your head these so workshops, that's craziness you know yeah which we all are <laughs> those workshops clearly sound impactful but to your point about your own personal maintenance plan like is that what they embark on so you walk in you get them all together you get them vulnerable they get you get them open you get them speaking but then do you revisit them yeah so it's about so the workshop isn't about just shocking them into this reality that boys um it isn't a burden to speak and the real hero is the bloke that just stood up and did that you know like let's go out the back and have six more beers and um you know and head home and just celebrate this guy every time we see him after what what I do then is is literally rebuild and give blokes a chance to be, you know I, I I use the word hero you know for that guy because so many times, you know we hail the hero who's the guy who gets the most chicks, scores the most tries on the footy field, looks the best, um, surfs the biggest waves. He's the hero normally, um, whereas this workshop unveils you know the the bloke in the corner who gets up and says I've got an eating disorder. You know, like, um, so the workshop after after that bombshell of it's not a burden to speak and you're not a pussy, you're actually a hero, it then goes on a bit of a, on a, I take it on like a, a lifeline, um, a timeline in a sense. So I model um, this honest and open conversation by telling my own story, which, um, you know, goes from top to bottom. Uh and then get the blokes to do it. So the first one's pretty easy. The first one is, you know, um, your earliest childhood memories and, um, you know, one funny experience you can remember. So for me, you know, it's like growing up around Chugan, um, grew up surfing, um, lucky to grow up on the beach, a little place called Wagon Street. Um, literally spent my time throwing rocks at cats with my mate Dingo Reynolds. 
Um, okay. Yeah, Dingo the Hound is his nickname. Um, you know, Wednesday afternoon was spent at the Barry's tennis court, and then my sisters had piano practice. Um, you know, playing footy at Chugan Seahawks, the ball boy over there. Um, and then, you know, at the age of 10, um, my mum and dad split up, and my dad took off to far north Queensland. So what I've done is I've modelled this easy conversation, this easy story, and then I've sort of dropped them in just a little bit at the end, which is like a little prelude into what that next part of the workshop is. But then I turn to them and go, boys, turn to the fellow next year. You've got two minutes each. Talk them about your earliest childhood memory. And they'll go through it. And you see them just chewing each other's ears off. Um, and these guys don't typically know each other. No. Nah. So the first thing I do too is like get uncomfortable, sit with a bloke you don't know. Um, so they'll do that. Or a bloke that you haven't spoken to for a long time. Um, you know, and as an example of a story, a guy in far western New South Wales, a beautiful Trangy, one of my favourite towns, um, he got up and told this story about how he remembers at school one time getting into trouble with his mate and all of a sudden his mate just got all of his clothes off, did the finger to the teacher and just ran off down the main street and his mate was like, fuck, I remember that. And he's like, mate, oh, I have never even asked you why the fuck did you do that? And the whole room just exploded with laughter. Um, so it was an awesome opportunity because it was a chance for us to hear from someone. But as well as that, um, it, was a ch- it, was, it was a little bit uncomfortable. Like that bloke could have totally denied it, but he, he went into it and he talked about why he did it. And he was like, I just wanted to create chaos and all of this. Um, so then the second part of it is the hills and the valleys. Um, so one of my big things is I just think we need to be able to appreciate the negative as much as the positive because you don't get to do the negative you don't get to do the positive if you haven't done the negative you know there's all those sayings you can't appreciate the view unless you've been at the bottom of the valley all that sort of stuff um and i've got a really one of my best mates well he's my best mate he's 60 68 years old and he used to play footy in um in western sydney in balmain actually in the early days He's been a huge part of my life and he was one of the reasons how this workshop got built and why I do the work. But the second part of it is I go into when dad left and I talk about how he went to far north Queensland and I had this guilt of did I cause my family to break up? Was it my fault? Um, I was 10 years old so I bolted to far north Queensland with him. I remember standing at the airport with him and um, when he was leaving and I looked up at my grandfather and my grandfather looked down at me and I was just in tears. My grandfather looked at me and said, you should have gone with him, you fucking idiot. And I remember just going, whoa. whoa. And got in the car with mum and my sisters to go back to the Gold Coast. I remember looking like I can still see it, like yeah. driving down the Logan motorway and picturing my old man just flying further and further away. Yeah. It just, it was, it was really, it just created a lot of anger for me and a lot of stress and anxiety. But at 12, 13, 15, up to 20 years of age, I didn't know what stress and anxiety was. I didn't know why when I sat on the plane to fly back to mum, see my mum after seeing him for two weeks, I would go into a fit of rage and my sisters would have to hold me down in the seat You know, as I watched my dad like hang on, on the fence at Cairns Airport while we taxied out. Like, I didn't know why I would have these sort of you know moments of waking up in the middle of the night. I didn't know what it was. Um, so as a young fella, you don't talk about it because your mates don't want to hear about it. Do you think it. if Pops hadn't said that loaded statement, it might no. have not gone on that kind of... I still would have bolted up there, I reckon. Um, I don't know. I, I think for me, like it planted this seed of 
no self-worth. Like, I was like, if he can bail on me, like, I must be worth shit. So I spent the next sort of 10 years of my life ping-ponging between him and mum because I wanted to make them feel good um, because then it made me feel like I was doing something good. Um, And that was the same at school. So I explained to the fellas my behaviour at school was I'd be loud and the biggest smart-ass and the best smart-ass and, you know, chasing as many girls as I could, just all this destructive behaviour purely to just make myself feel better. Um... You know, really long story short. Normally, it's, it's only two minutes for me to tell this sort of part of the workshop. But, um, you know, that behaviour, then I got a job working for a surf magazine. I travelled the world. I, you know, would literally, to prove the people wrong, who would say, you know, you're never going to be anything. I just took off. And I remember getting to G-Land in Indonesia one time and ringing back home because I had severe homesickness and costing 15 US a minute. like to ring back reverse charges. And, um, you know, the... They're, they're all the sort of the valleys. I mean, I went into a severe alcohol addiction. That was my way to express, you know, anger and all those sorts of things and emotion. Um, but I used to get drunk all the time. And, um, you know, this is down the track when I had my wife, um, Claire, and, and the kids. And, and I'd just take off in the middle of the night. You don't know what it's like to have a dad who doesn't love you. All that sort of shit. And I'd ring my best mate, Bing. And I'd tell him. And eventually one night he was just like, mate, stop fucking ringing me. You're a, you're a soft cock. You're a pussy. He goes, ring me when you're sober and then I'll talk to you. But you keep doing it while you're pissed. And I was like, whoa. So my, my mate held me on... He held me on this thing. Like, he held it to me. He was like, you know, make a call on this now because I'm, I'm a good enough mate that I'm not going to let you continue with this destructive bullshit. Um, so I literally did it. I um, next day walked into a rehab place and, and discovered like this severe honesty and this moment of clarity of, wow, like being honest and owning all my shit is unbelievably easy. And now that I've done it, I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to get drunk to show emotion. If I'm angry, I can just talk about why I'm angry. If I'm feeling sad, I am allowed to cry. Um, and I just saw that all this epic opportunity for having honest conversation. Um, and I realised how much it's sort of been holding me back. Um, so, like, the, the valleys for me was all of those destructive behaviours and the chance, of, you know, the, the fact I nearly lost my family. But the hills, um, you know, and, and the, the beauty of it was that out of it I came my best mate, Bing, who's um, just my hero. <laughs> and then um, my wife, like, my wife, Claire, just for... Yeah, like, I get emotional. Like, she gave me 10 years. She put up with shit for 10 years. Yeah, like, fuck. brutal. Like, I'm emotional. Oh, yeah, I tell the story all the time. Most days. Oh, mate, I was, like, I was the best ever at it. Um, <laughs> I could drink 12 stubbies a day and you wouldn't know if I had one. Um, and that was, I guess, the saddest thing, that her and my mum and Bing, like, my best mate, were the only ones who knew because... Like, um, they were the ones who were copping all the bad stuff. So, um, I mean, I'd go out at night and go... So all, all that drinking was just pushing down, suppressing what was sort of there yeah. on the surface, the, the hurt, the self, um, the lack of self-love and all that. Yeah, and it was, a, it was an opportunity, like I reckon, for, like most blokes take, to show emotion as well. Because when you are pissed, you're allowed to be angry. You know, oh, we you drink rum. Inhibitions go. And yeah. Um, you know, like in the middle of the night or two in the morning, you look at your mate, oh, I love you, man. You're my best mate. 
you know, I'll always love you. But um, how many blokes can do that at nine o'clock in the morning at the coffee shop? Like yeah. sit there and go, mate, I, I, get, I, get I love you. Me. Yeah, you know, like I, I yeah, like I, I, I love you and I really appreciate what you've done for me. And that's the uncomfortable part of the work. So that's the bit that we're getting blokes to step in. And, you know, that guy who had the friend of 25 years who's, you know, had all those tumours, he, he gets to stand up and go, mate, like, we're best mates. Why haven't you ever told me that? And his mate goes, fuck, I couldn't. Like, I couldn't have broken the bro code. Like, the men, I call them the men's law. Like, I couldn't do that. Um, you kind of showed all that yourself. Yeah, so, so you do so it yourself. Well, you don't want to be the burden, do you? So you do it yourself or, you know, our wives um, shoulder it um, or our best friends, but it's our best friends who sort of stick around and, and help us out and are there till the end, you know? Like I, I went from having thousands of mates. I could go to any pub on the Gold Coast or, you know, a few around here where I knew everyone. But I... Mate, I've seen you drive through town. You do know Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... Um, but it comes down to that point, isn't it, of, you know... Yeah, what's more important? Are you going to reach out to them when you, when you are laying in bed in the fetal position? Um, you know, like I've got a best mate, Craig, who, um, Craig Tuffin, who in my early days, I'll never forget, laying in his shower, like in the fetal position, not knowing what to do, my next step. And he came in fully clothed and just picked me up and laid me down like, and called the doctor. Yeah. You know, like how many mates... You know, we've got mates that would do it. Um, but we've also got this belief of, shit, I can't put that on a mate. I can't do that to a mate. Mm. But, um, yeah, so there's lots to it. Then, you know, turn that to the room. And, and, and that's that vulnerability and being open that I've just done and I've modelled that then allows the room to do it. And that's when you hear from, like, absolute heroes, you know. Like I had a kid recently on the Gold Coast get up and he was... The smallest kid in the room, mate, he was so skinny and tiny. All the other boys would be footy boys, shoulders and beards. And and he'd been bullied and he was like, boys, I'll stand up first. And I was like, oh, this will be good. And one yeah, of the, wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And he got up and um, and he spoke about having an eating disorder. And he yeah. spoke about how he's got all these pressures at home and his parents had split up and he feels responsible for, you know, his parents breaking up. And, and he said, so boys, like, I don't eat like that's my way of dealing with it and that's why I'm skinny and you guys bully me and and it's hard and and he started to break down and one of the footy boys just stood up and just started clapping you know then another bloke just yells out get around him boys get around him and here's this tiny little fella who'd never felt camaraderie or never felt what it's like to be in a footy team or have boys around him he didn't even have mates all of a sudden had 30 boys around him and you're sitting on the floor just going Fuck, this is amazing. Like this is this is the gold that we're missing out on because we feel that we're a burden if we do what that kid just did. But that yeah, kid just blew it away. Yeah. yeah. Like oh man, I mean there's the stories I could like being in the room when a young man comes out, you know, sexuality is it's like fuck seeing sunrise for the first time. It's mm-hmm. like falling in love for the first time. It's like those moments that you can't even put words to. Yeah, right. You know, like you've given this opportunity or they've given themselves this opportunity to free themselves of something that could either kill them, you know, suicide, or hold them back from being who they truly are for another 10 years until they're allowed to come out. 
So that, those moments clearly give you the your purpose. Oh, oh man, it's um, it's the gold. It's the because you must have you must have had farmers in your workshops that you know carrying the burden of yields not mm. working because of droughts and the pressure of you know, financial pressure. Yeah, well, for the last three years, it's been um, it's been all drought. It, it, the drought was um, the drought was just like wild to see, and it's always I always feel a bit hard talking about it because I I don't live in the bush, so I don't have any right to sort of cry poor that the, the drought sort of affected me. But it was hard to watch all your mates go on such a like a roller coaster ride of emotions, and the people you worked with. Um, like when I say work with it came to the workshops um, but yeah like suicide just became I was getting three four phone calls a week and then I guess I was living around here and, and I guess that's why I phone would fault from the bush yeah from right. people saying hey look we've lost someone can you speak to their kids um, you know we've had a young bloke threaten to do his can you have a conversation so it becomes that intimate you, you come into a family yeah and speak to the kids of a yeah, um, and I sort of do that, mate, because I've got this belief that that emotion's that emotion's there, and that pain and hurt is there. So I can do two things: I can go shit, that's too hard, and ignore it, um, and let the person deal with it themselves, or I can say, yeah, I'm going to have a conversation with them and and build a relationship with them um, to give them someone to talk to. Because that pain's going to be there regardless of whether I go in or not. So I'd rather be there with them. Um, and I guess that's where I talk about that maintenance program. Like, And my wife would say, hey, there's times where you don't do it good enough. And my mate Bing would say, are you doing too much? And lots of mates would. And I'd say, yeah, I am. Um, so that's where I say I've got to get better at that maintenance. So I'm, I'm able to do it. I sort of look at it like playing professional sport. You know, like I go into that workshop with 30, 30 fellas... And we have this moment of honesty and just gold. It's just an emotion, you know. Um, and then if I'm going to do, I might do six or eight or ten of those a week. Mm. Like I've got to be ready the next day to sort of do it again. Mm. Um, and mate, some days I do it by going for a swim straight after a workshop and then going to the pub with my mate Bing and he'll just tell bloody dick jokes and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that for half an hour and be a boy. You know, we'll just be Does boys. Does he do the workshop with you? Nah. Nah, he's, um, I mean, he's got an amazing story um, and he's literally like the <coughs> the last part of the workshop when I tell. Um, so the last part of the workshop is like the finished part of um, who's been someone who's been there for you and what would you say to them if you could? Um, and there's two for me, like it's my mate Bing, but as well a young fella, Bastion. And um, Bastion passed eight years ago last Sunday. He was an amazing young fella. He was 16, had cancer. And I met him in, in his last six months of his life. And um, he was the most humble, down-to-earth young kid like I've ever come across. He, um, and at the time, I was the most ego-driven, selfish prick-like in the whole world. I was working at 2UE in radio. I was working for Triple M. I was doing all this TV stuff, just trying to you know, become the next Tim Bailey sort of thing. and Never, um, never aspire. Yeah, Timmy Bailey. Oh, I love that weather, man. Um, anyway, I was, I was out of control. It was all about me, me, me. And, 
and I met this kid and um, took him down to Manly to this surfing contest and um, Richie Lovett had had the same cancer. He was a professional surfer. Richie's an amazing fella. Ewing sarcoma it was. And um, Richie said, mate, I can, I've got a half an hour. Like, bring him down. And Richie sat with him for five hours. Like, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And <coughs> over, the, um, over the next six months... I took him to places and one time especially though I took him to Campbelltown Stadium and the Tigers were playing the Broncos and he was a big Broncos man and I said mate you want to come out in the middle of the ground half time like we're going to either kick the ball and we're going to be on the big screen and he looks at me he goes he just chuckled he goes why would I want to be on the big screen mate and I was there going like it was like looking in yeah. the mirror of my ego and I was going well, why wouldn't you be like why wouldn't you want everyone to see you and yeah. he goes mate I just want to hang in here with you blokes um, so he was sort of like the start of this honest journey for me, meeting this kid. And, um, and the, literally the day that he died, um, I went and saw him, mate. He looked 400 years old. Like he was already, he'd passed, he'd sort of gone blind on the Monday and his liver had shut down and his family were around his bed. And, and I walked in and shook his hand and he nearly ripped it out of my shoulder, like the strength and I kissed him on the forehead and, and I just felt like this thing that day of like he looked at me with these eyes and he was like don't fuck this up like you've got two kids on the way at the time I only had Betty but he was like don't don't screw this up mate like you've got a chance to really do something with your life if you could forget about yourself for a while and start to think about other people um, and that was sort of the day that I picked it up mm-hmm. and Here's one of the last things he did before he died was um, we had Sam Thido ring him who plays for the Broncos. It's a classic story. And um, Sam rang him and he hadn't spoken since the Monday and he's just listening, got him on speaker and Sam's talking about, he plays for the Broncos, he's talking about how they played in Darwin the year before in hot weather and Bass grew up in Darwin. And um, Sam's going, we had to play four 20-minute quarters because um, it was so hot and Bastion just started laughing. And his mum was like, and he, um, Sam goes, what, what, are you, what are you laughing at, mate? And he goes, this is literally like one of the last things he said in his life. He said, we, I grew up in Darwin and we used to play two 40-minute halves. He goes, you're a soft cop. And just chuckled. And I remember just looking at him going, mate, you're amazing. But a couple of hours before he died, yeah, his mum and dad got him out of bed and um, the last thing he wanted to do was put his feet on the earth for the last time. He was like, Mum, I just want to touch the earth one more time. And um, Yeah, that's, uh, that's find your feet. So that's where that stems from. <laughs> so I tell, tell Bass story all the time, but he um, always gets me because I don't think we follow enough of what Bass does, which is, you know, like in their last moments, he just wanted to touch the earth with his bare feet. Um... Yeah, and I've still got an amazing relationship with his mum and dad. Um, but he is find your feet. He's why I go out in the bush and, and I volunteer. I don't charge for the work. Um, right. I'm in the hope of one day someone will get behind it and financially support it. But at the moment, it's just all about his message. And I tell his story when I do the work. Um, so, you know, I, I either say in, in the last bit of the workshop that if I could say anything to Bass, it would be thanks for kicking me in the ass. Um, telling you to not fuck it up yeah which you clearly aren't you're clearly not doing you clearly yeah i still fuck up (laughs) big time oh well but we're blokes but what you're telling me is that you you 
you're doing something that not many people have the capacity to, have the skill set to. Like, you, you're affecting these guys. Yeah. You're, you're going, oh, you, if you're saying you're doing it for free, you're going out of your way. You're driving hundreds of kilometres to areas and, and having these impactful workshops. That's fucking amazing, mate. Yeah. That's like, you know, you've got to give yourself props. I mean, one thing that just popped into my head is how do you... If it's getting to the point where you're, it's that um, intimate that you're spending time with a son or a daughter who's just lost their parent, that's a very tragic, sad um, environment to walk into and, and be in and yeah. probably um, revisit from time to time. Like, if you're doing that on a number of occasions, like, is there a protection mechanism that you've adopted no. or...? There's not really, but I... Um, so I mean, you well, kind of really, absorb all that. I take yeah. it on, I'm sure. Um, but over the years, like I've worked out a way, obviously, how to get rid of it. So that's... Or not how to get rid of it, how to process it. So it's my maintenance program, which is my simple everyday, what I do. Um, as well, like I see, actively see three counsellors, like at the moment. Um, one of them I do this amazing work with called cognitive behavioural therapy, which is just incredible. Like I couldn't speak any higher of that. Um, and that for me is blatant owning your shit, like looking at your thought patterns and going, mate, that's where I'm going wrong. Let's turn that around. So that's helped me a lot with my old man um, and thinking about him and my relationship there. The other is a marriage counsellor. I mean, I'm of the belief that I don't go to the mechanic when my truck breaks down. I go to the mechanic every 5,000 kilometres and change the oil in my truck and the filter, and it's the same with my relationships. Like, I just maintain... I just don't go to the mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> Full stop. I, <laughs> No, you know, like I got, we, we have these, you know, I sort of feel productive conversations when we, when we sit together and have, um, you know, time with a counsellor. And then the other one is just this awesome older lady called Elizabeth who um, I've been going to since the moment I walked into that rehabilitation place, um, you know, to have conversations. But then there's mates who I can have the, you know, the, the boy jokes and the banter and all that stuff with. But then it can also, yeah, go, hey, next schooner, Bing, I've got to tell you um, about, you know, I'm having this issue at the moment with, like, and or he'll say, mate, next schooner, I can tell that you've got a heap of shit in you. Let's have a conversation. Um, so that, you know, that that's the last part of this workshop that, which is that honesty part. So, um, and it's about, giving that, I guess, maybe light to someone else and going, what have they done for me and where have I come from since I've met that person? I mean, for someone like my mate Bing, he's lost so much. Um, I mean, his story's so big and I won't tell too much of it because it's his story, but he lost his son um, and, it, you know, he talks so openly about the anger and the his son was shot by police. Um, and it was an awful time for him and his partner and his partner Mary is an amazing woman <clears throat> and and I was there at the police at the inquest when they hugged the police who had taken their son's life um, and I'll never forget like being laying on the ground with them in the courthouse because the policeman literally his knees went and he passed out with so much like emotion and being laid there with him and hugged him and, and said well, I forgive you you lost something that day and I lost my son and, and and I remember six months later driving 
through um, where it had happened. And I said to Bing, mate, why did, why did you do that that day? Because I still had all this stuff about my father and all this anger. And he was like, because, mate, the anger and the bitterness would have killed me before it killed that policeman. And I just, like, clicked. I was like, that was me for 20 years, like, or longer with my old man. Like, I just wanted him to know how much he'd hurt me and my mum. But I just didn't know how to do it. Um, I didn't know how to have those conversations. I didn't know how to talk about it. So, you know, like I say to fellas, like, if, if I could say anything to Bing, it would be, you know, thank you for being honest with me. Thanks for kicking me in the ass, but also thanks for being a good enough mate to say, hey, I love you, but you've been a fucking idiot. And I'm going to be here for you when you stop being a fucking idiot. I'm not going to walk away and leave you, but I'm calling you on it now. Um, so well, then, I reckon all those guys in the workshop would have that same reaction to, towards you. Like, thanks for opening that door. Thanks for... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they do, but it's... I mean, the majority of them are like guys who want to just acknowledge their wives mm. like blokes will say things like you know for 40 years I've been going down to the Imperial Hotel drinking 10 schooners and joking around with you blokes and then I go home and you know I'll throw six stubbies down the throat and, the stu- and then all the glass on the floor and yell at my wife all night mm. and she'll wake up the next day and then nothing would have mattered like nothing's changed mm. she'll still be bringing me a cup of tea in bed and I'll just go I just can't believe I've had this amazing woman in my life and I've never acknowledged her and I'm going to go home and I'm going to acknowledge her. Or, you know, they'll stand up and talk about a mate in the room or they'll just thank someone who's been open. Mm. So, you know, the, the what n- needs to happen with the workshop is you need to... Being an old school teacher, I'm a massive believer in outcomes. The outcome needs to be um, the blokes realise that it's not a burden to speak. Um, the outcome needs to be that they're able to do it themselves or listen to another bloke be able to do it. Um, and then the other outcome is for them to be able to understand that they're never going to be perfect. And being uncomfortable and being emotional is as, just as normal as lifting weights, as going for a run. You know, this is like practicing this, um, this emotional workout, you know, and getting good at it and being able to do it. Um, like I know with you, I could easily say, with, like have an honest conversation with someone like yourself. I've got mates that I mightn't venture into it with. I've got mates that I might a little bit. I've got mates I could fully pour out and go, mate, I need to have a long conversation. Um, so it's, in a sense, that becomes part of your maintenance program. It becomes part of your toolkit that you use. Um, instead of drinking it away, you talk it away. And have a beer if you want along the way, but the beer doesn't become your vice. Yeah. The maintenance program becomes your... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll probably chewed your ear off and burn out the microphone, but <laughs> so oh, passionate we, we, about we, it. We man. ran out of battery. Yeah, hours yeah. Ago. Oh, Tommy, well, now I know what you do. I have a, a greater um, respect for you, you know, as mm. a man. As, you know, you're doing all this work in, the, in those communities. It's clearly valuable and so fucking hats off to you brother yeah no cheers mate it's um it's the people out there though too you know like um i do most of my work around narramine trangy warren gilgandra tottenham tullamore tamingley like um that's become like home as well for me Mm -hmm. um like we just took off to 
you know, the work as well isn't just in, in a workshop, in a group sense. Like, I was just out in Wilcannia and met this bloke out there and we'd, we had 90 mil of rain while we were out there on this 150,000 acre property and, and I'd just, him and I would like, it was almost like we were going off to bet on the horses or something, but we'd look at each other in front of, like, the ladies and go, oh, we just need to go and check the, the water troughs. And, and the, ma- the owner of the farm would be like, we had a 90 mil of rain yeah, yesterday. Like, and you go, oh, oh. And we'd ride for 30 kilometres like down a back paddock and we'd literally stop the motorbike and have like a two-hour conversation. And this guy was so good at it. And he'd had a pretty destructive like period of his life. And he'd dived into this role, part of his life purely because he knew he had to get his priorities in order. And from the minute like the engine went off on this bike the first day, we just went into having this conversation and I don't sit there and counsel him I don't do any of that stuff all I do is what I just did with you telling you about my inability sometimes to not look into things not read things judgment like those things play out in my life every day yeah but the minute I talk to someone else about them they feel they can talk about it and then you go normalizes what's going on for you yeah yeah, you normalize it you take a deep breath and you go fuck I am crazy but Scotty's crazy too and you know and he's great. We're all a bit whack. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's all right. Yeah, it is. It is all right, you know. Um, so. We'll, we'll keep, keep doing, doing what you're doing. doing. Don't fuck it up, mate. Yeah, yeah. I probably will. I'll go home. When things are going really good, that's when you like fuck it up. So, <laughs> shit. Look out this afternoon. Good on you, Tully. In case you were wondering what happened to the man with tumors on his balls. You'll be relieved and happy to hear, as I was, that he recently got the all clear from the docks. Great stuff.